I've not met you yet. My name's Jesse. Uh, whether you're watching online for the first time or <clears throat> you're here visiting with us, I uh, want to make you aware uh, of just a few uh, things. Uh, a, I know over the last several weeks, many of you have gotten used to Amy Kraft uh, doing announcements, so I hate to disappoint, but her energy is not here this morning. She uh, is out of town. So I'm going to do announcements again, um, but I just want to make, uh, make sure you guys know kind of what's going on around here. The first one is, if you're new, there's a couple things we would ask you to do. One, download our app uh, on uh, your Google phone or your iPhone or whatever it is that you use. Uh, Sierra Bible Church Truckee, not the one in Reno. There's another one in Sonora. Don't ask me why. The Sonora one makes a little more sense than the Reno one. Uh, I've been trying to convince Reno to change their name for a few years. They refuse to do so. Uh, we're going to send some heavy hitters over there soon. Don't worry. Um, but I uh, want to make you aware of uh, the app. And then if you got a bulletin when you came in, there's a little, uh, little thing you can tear out of your bulletin, fill out, drop in the offering box. Gets you uh, signed up for our newsletter we send out every week. Tells you all the great things that we're doing. Uh, the app also has a place to take notes, has a place to access all of our sermons. Uh, there's some devotions on there. There's all kinds of great stuff on there for uh, your kids as well. There's devotions for kids on there in addition to adults. Uh, so make sure you get that resource. We're going to be in Romans chapter 13 this morning. So if you have your Bible, turn there. If not, just raise your hand. One of these lovely gentlemen would love to hand you a Bible. Just keep your hand up and they'll make sure that you get one. Uh, a couple things we want to make you aware of in regards to uh, things to get plugged into. One is the Women's Christman, uh, Christman, Christmas Luncheon, uh, December 4th. There's, this is a free event, but we are going to do a fundraiser uh, for Scarlet Hope, which is a ministry that we help partner with and support. So I want to make you aware of that. Um, Night of Bethlehem, along with, uh, sorry, that was my fault. I pressed the button on my remote when you should have done it. But sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Uh, technical difficulties on my end. Uh, Night of Bethlehem is like Trunk or Treat. It's one of the biggest events that probably is put on here in Truckee. Uh, we need volunteers, and we want you to invite people to come. But for two nights, this entire area that you're sitting in gets turned into first century Bethlehem. There's tents all over the place. It's decorated to the hilt. There's an opportunity uh, for kids to do crafts, to build some ornaments and things like that. There's time period food. Uh, there are live actors that are in the building uh, playing out first century Bethlehem and, and all of that. Uh, and so we would encourage you to sign up if you haven't to help out. Uh, at the very least, we would definitely invite you to come. We'd love to have you here and invite some of your friends uh, and family. We're also doing Angel Tree this year. Uh, so for kids whose uh, parents are incarcerated, if you want to help make sure they get a gift at Christmas time, we encourage you to sign up. That's all, uh, all in our newsletter and online. Uh, as well. Um, and then uh, we have Advent. So we're going to be in uh, an Advent series. I'll explain what that is here in a moment if you're not familiar uh, for the next four weeks. And Advent is a time for the church in the church calendar for you and I to kind of build towards anticipation towards the coming of Jesus. There's two kind of sides to Advent that are important. One is in the church calendar, we're celebrating all the way back to what it was like for the wise men and, and the magi uh, to be waiting for that star to appear, that the Messiah, that the Christ has come, right? And, and if you remember, that comes after several hundred years of silence, no prophet, no king, no priesthood, no nothing, just silence. And then God speaks by showing the star uh, in the sky, and they come and they meet with uh, the Christ, the Messiah. So we're sharing in something that happened in history. At the same time, 
we're building for ourselves the next four weeks an anticipation for the reality that Christ is coming again. And so what we do in this church calendar during the month, usually at the end of November and December, depending on where it lands, we take four weeks to kind of just get our hearts ready to celebrate this great truth. Jesus is coming back soon. Amen? Um, Yeah, we clap for that. That's a good thing to clap for. I mean, we are at church, right? Yay, Jesus. Um, And then in the bookstore, we have books. Uh, for Advent, little devotions. We encourage you to purchase some of those, maybe get them as a gift. Uh, and then in addition to that, what we have for you for gifts also, uh, a local artist who, who comes to our church on a regular basis has uh, hand-painted some cards out there, uh, and you'll see those in the bookstore for sale uh, as well, okay? So with that said, Romans chapter 13, if you uh, have the ability to this morning, would you stand with me as we read from uh, this passage together? And, and standing is just something we do as a church uh, not to be religious uh, or, or to act like we have it all together. It's just a way for us to position our hearts and our minds uh, and our souls and our ears to be attentive to what it is that God wants to say to us. In addition to that, we just have a high opinion of God's word, and we want to make sure that we honor it. Verse 11, chapter 13. <clears throat> Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep, For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness or sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Lord, we ask this morning, Remove hindrance, remove any distraction, and help us to just focus on you. May we see ourselves, if you will, at a table, dining with you, Lord, speaking with you one-on-one in an intimate conversation, from you, our God and Father, to us as your children in your church. And we trust you to speak and to move us as you see fit. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. You may be seated. Um, so... Every one of you, I'm assuming, (laughs) because you're here, woke up at some point this morning. Now, by that assumption, I mean that maybe it's possible some of you were awake all through the night, and if that's the case, we should be able to spot who you are. Uh, But getting up in the morning for me, traditionally, has always kind of been uh, not an easy task. Uh, In fact, all through even my childhood and into my adulthood, I have tried everything I can to rise in the morning with an anticipation for the day that fills me with joy and gratitude. And yet, no matter how much caffeine I drink, no matter how long I sit in a hot shower in the morning, I can't find myself to really muster up the ability to be, you know, happy in the morning, if you will. I wish it was true. I wish I could tell you I'm a very spiritual man. I wake up in the morning singing songs to my Savior as flowers arise in the room, and it's kind of a big Disney picture, right? That's just not the case. I, actually, what's helped me with this is having four children. I have to get up earlier uh, naturally because of that. My clock's a little tighter than it used to be. But, but I've also noticed something as a, uh, as a great encouragement to me that um, my, uh, my daughter in particular and, and one of my other kids, they, they're just naturally bent towards not waking up in a good mood as well. 
Right? My, my little girl woke up this morning, and uh, she's, uh, she's seven years old, and her, you know, her pajamas were a little crooked, and her hair is just a disaster. I mean, it literally looked like she stuck her hand in a light socket. And I looked at her this morning, and I thought, how you look is how I feel, right? Like, <laughs> I didn't tell her that, and don't tell her I said that, because we don't. But waking up is tough. And what the call is in this particular text, and kind of my first point this morning, is, is a call to be awakened, to awaken, to awaken to the reality of who God is. Uh, as the author, uh, Paul, who wrote Romans, is, is literally saying here in this particular text, the, the day of salvation is nearer than it was before. Now, I don't know exactly when Christ is coming back again. We, we're celebrating during Christmas time the fact that he has come, and we're anticipating the reality he's going to come back again. And we don't know when he is going to come back again, but what we do know is we are at the very least 2,000 years closer to that return than we were 2,000 years ago. And yet the first century church lived with an anticipation. They believed in their day, in their time, that Jesus would come back again. And so we need to become awakened. That's the, the first kind of thing that's listed within the passage this morning. But awakened to what in particular? Well, Advent celebrates the reality that Jesus Christ, who is God, came in the flesh. What we call the miracle of the incarnation. Jesus has pierced through heaven to earth to be with humanity, to know humanity, and have a relationship with humanity. John Piper has a way of saying this. He says that the reality of the incarnation is actually a great stumbling block to many. And the reason that this incarnation, Jesus becoming man, becomes a stumbling block, he goes on to say, is because in coming as a man, he strips away every pretense of man to be God. He goes on and he says, we can no longer do our own thing. We must do what this one Jewish man wants us to do. We can no longer pose as, a self, as self-sufficient because this one Jewish man says we are all sick with sin and must come to him for healing. We can no longer depend on our own wisdom to find life because this one Jewish man who lived for 30 obscure years in a little country in the Middle East says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And when God becomes a man, man ceases to be the measure of all things. And this man, who is Jesus, becomes the measure of all things. This is simply intolerable to the rebellious heart of men and women. So he says within this particular text, this incarnation, the, the reality that salvation is nearer than when it first came, the reality that Jesus is coming again, is a reminder to us that Jesus, who is God, is, is, is letting us know as a culture and as a people that you and I cannot be the center of the universe. This is the call of the gospel. You do not get to decide how you live life if Jesus is really who Jesus said he was. In fact, I had a, a, a conversation with a close family member yesterday who, who was wrestling through this reality that what she basically shared with me was she, her words were that she believed and believes that mankind is actually doing pretty well with their moral compass. Her, her argument was that, that, that humanity actually, by and large, actually is doing a pretty good job morally with what is right and, and what is wrong. And, and I'm over on the other side of the fence saying mankind has, has botched this thing that we call 
morality. We, we've, we've ruined it. And, and I was bringing uh, it to her attention all of these different stories throughout history and throughout several cultures of what happens when man makes man the center of the universe. In fact, all you have to do, if you just want to see what happens to a culture that completely abandons God, just study the book of Judges. The book of Judges, the the one line that, that continually arises within the book of Judges is, each man did according to what he thought was right in his own eyes. Right, that, that's, that is what mankind does. And, and sitting with this individual who I love deeply and dearly, essentially without even knowing they were saying it, was telling me they actually want to live life according to their own rules, their own guidelines, their own wants, and their own desires. Right? And, and I was asking you just the, the simple question of, well, what, where, where do you believe right and wrong come from? Do you believe in a right? And do you believe in a wrong? Right? In, in our culture, we're, we're struggling as as a Christian community, not in our church, but in many churches where, where there's a refusal to, to acknowledge just certain things that, that are in the Bible. A gentleman who used to go to a church, a different church several years ago, said that their pastor uh, would never use the word sin. We don't want to use the word sin because the word sin is it's just too negative and it's too harsh. And so instead of using the word sin, they chose to use the word stuff. You know, we all got stuff, right? Every one of us has stuff that we got to deal with, right? The Bible calls your stuff your sin, okay? It's not just stuff. It's not, it's not some random bag of, of, you know, your drunk drawer. I got stuff in my drunk drawer. But sin is an issue of the heart. It's an issue of, of death, and the consequences are steep to that said sin. And so this reality of us trying to be our own God, this reality of, 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 of us trying to live our own lives and, and be the center of our own universe just simply doesn't work. And if you study any kind of history, you can see society has always gone awry when it has removed God out of the picture and replaced it with man. I mean, how many of you have ever just sat to think that for however many years it took, millions of Jews were murdered in the name of what this is the right thing to do? Right? And many of those men and women believed what they were doing was the right thing. In fact, as I was sharing with this individual in this conversation, the, the conversation between Muslims and Christianity arised. Right? Because she was sharing with me that, that everyone kind of has their own view of religion. And again, who is right and who is wrong to say what religion is right and what religion is wrong? And so she was trying to convince me that not all Muslims are bad and not all Muslims are evil. Now, there's a lot of things we could tease out on that, but, but I began to share with her historically what the kind of damage m- the, the Muslim religion has done over the centuries, whether it is the Twin Towers in America or whether it's the things that happened in Iran, or for all of us who are very aware of the, the women who were once free who are now under the rule of Sharia law with the Taliban. I mean, you're talking about women who were mutilated to ensure that they stay loyal to their husbands. You are talking about a vast uh, kind of swath of violence that exists in the Middle East that you and I know very little about. And as I was talking with her, I was letting her know, and I was making her aware of, and, and you can look this up. You don't have to believe me if you don't want to. You can go find this is true, that radical Muslims believe that by eradicating sinners... They are actually, that, by eradicating them, by killing them, by blowing them up, 
by ramming airplanes into Twin Towers, they believe in their hearts that that's actually an act of compassion on humankind. That's what they believe. They've convinced themselves through the lens of religion, through what I would even push farther into and say through the lens of demonic oppression, that the right thing, the compassionate thing to do is kill and murder all infidels so that the world will be pure and no longer have such evil in it. And what's the contrast to that to this great advent of Christ? Not that he would come to destroy sinners, but rather he would come to save sinners. Not to eradicate, but to love. Right? And so as Christians, we know that there are people who are doing things outside of the realm of God, and our response is to be moved with compassion and love and grace and to share the reality that the gospel is true. And there's one true God. He wants a relationship with you, and he and he alone has the ability to heal you. You tell me which one has the true good news. Right? One religion teaches, give us your sons that they would die for Muhammad. Where our Christianity says... Where God says, I give you my son to die for you. What a radical contrast. And so this coming of Jesus, this advent, the reality that Jesus, who is God, came into this world, strips us of the reality that you and I are not our own gods and we cannot be our own gods. We must worship something. And John literally says of Jesus, when he writes of Jesus, this is a man that we have seen, this is a man that we have heard, and this is a man that we have touched. And, and he's letting us know we've, people have seen this guy. It's not just in our, our biblical literature, but it's also in these witnesses. So you now must become awakened to this reality that Jesus has come and the reality that Jesus is coming. Another way to say it in my first point of awakening, don't be a sleepy saint. Don't sleepwalk, right? The word sleep here literally means to not be active, to have a decrease in responsiveness, to have a loss of consciousness, to be lethargic, and to be lazy. And Ephesians 5 literally tells us as a church, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, right? Awaken to the reality of who, who Jesus is. Be awakened to the gospel. Be awakened to scripture and understand that, that, that as he says in the rest of Ephesians, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Why would Christ shine upon you? To make you alive. To give you new life. To give you a new ability to think. A new way uh, of working through choices and decisions and, and how you do things. Now, now this awakening should bring up to us an understanding that there should be a great amount of urgency that you and I should have in regards to the next advent of Christ. Right? As sure as tomorrow will come. Even more sure, Jesus will come. And what the author is saying here is he says in several other places, uh, he says in verse 11 here, the hour and the time has come. Time is short, therefore you should be urgent. Ephesians 5, 16. Look carefully at how you walk. And he goes on and says, not as wise, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time. Let me just ask you the, the question. What does your calendar look like? Last night, um, I had a, a, a great dinner with a, another pastor out of Reno. His name's Andrew Poe. Andrew and his wife actually helped uh, kind of launch and get Scarlet Hope off the ground. And Shannon, who's here this morning, she works for, she's the director of Scarlet Hope. And Andrew's just a, a, a wonderful guy, just a, a, a sweet dude. And, and 
we had the opportunity to sit down and to talk about what it means to make the most of our time. And so we were having this conversation, which my wife and I don't get to have too often, about what, is it, what does Sundays look for him as a pastor and, and look for his wife? And they have four kids, like we have four kids. And, and she basically said, I don't see my husband till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And, but this is what it looks like for us to redeem the time on Sunday and to redeem the time during the week. And it was just kind of an encouragement to be able to share with somebody else that understands the reality of what it is to do ministry and the ebbs and flows of, of serving Jesus as a pastor in ministry. And you know, I've shared with you before, Sundays are, are a lot of pouring out and a lot of passion. And, and, and then I, I'll come in tomorrow in the office tomorrow and, and my rhythm will be to sit down, open up the Bible on a Monday and to just dive right back into God's scripture on a Monday and to study and to try to figure out what it is that God wants me to say on a following Sunday. All the while while dealing with what many pastors call not Black Friday, which we just passed, but Black Monday. And this is a thing that, the pa- that pastors in my profession have, have called this. It's kind of like the day of, of it's like almost like a, a spiritual hangover. Right? You're thinking about the things you could have said, the things you should have said. The, you're looking back at the message and you're wondering and you're questioning yourself. And then you start to kind of put yourself in the lens of the congregation that exists in the church, the, the people who are struggling and the people who are, who are aching and hurting. And, and even though you hear great stories of people thriving and doing well, it's so easy for that to be overshadowed by a great amount of, of hurt that sometimes exists in a room like this. Right? Just in the last week alone, we... We said goodbye to a gentleman who, who's been teaching the word of God throughout our country for a long time. He doesn't live here, but he's been at Sierra Bible Church on many occasions and, and just recently passed away due to COVID. In the same week, the same week, which was last week for me, uh, entered into a conversation with a father and two sisters whose brother just recently overdosed on drugs. Young man, grew up in our youth group, Love the Lord, got stuck in an addiction, and he's passed. Those things are, are, are hard, and they weigh heavy. And then to think that each one of us in this room represents all kinds of other relationships and hurt and, and pain and sins we've, we've committed and mistakes that we've made, and we're all looking and longing for a day of renewal and hope and and this is what Advent is. The day of salvation is nearer today than it was. You know, another way to say this is, is well, I'll save that for later, but let me, let me read this to you. Another author says, um, uh, Soon, the day is at hand, the night is gone, soon we will be done with sin, done with disease. It is done with, will be done with discouragement, depression, It'll be done, we'll be done with sinning, and most of all, we'll be done with seeing Christ only in a mirror dimly. Salvation, salvation is finally and fully to see face to face. This is what he's saying. He's saying today is the day to see the Lord. And hopefully today, this morning, you came in in hopes of experiencing and knowing Christ. And some of you maybe for the first time are hearing and experiencing what the Holy Spirit does in your life that is God. He said, the day is at hand. Salvation is nearer than it was. The the day of evil is passing, and the day of good is coming. And the the good will conquer the evil. Now, we have to understand that this means for us, with urgency, we have to make the most of our opportunities. Opportunities for obedience, opportunities to be faithful, opportunities to evangelize. Do you remember Acts chapter 1, verse 6? 
or at least remember, at least in Acts chapter 1. Right? And in Acts chapter 1, we, we've come to this place where Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. So Christ has already lived his 33 years of perfection. He's died on the cross for the sins that we've committed. Right? He dies, he's shoved in a tomb, and he defeats death, resurrecting from the dead. He appears to his disciples while they're out fishing. Then the disciples come to the beach, and he cooks them breakfast. Right? Imagine this. You've just come back from the dead. Your first act with your homeboys is to make them fish. So he's sitting down and having a meal with his disciples. And a little bit later in Acts chapter 1, we see the disciples are traveling with Jesus, and this is exactly what they say to Jesus. So Jesus, when will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Okay, translation. Hey, Jesus, when are you going to write the left behind books? Like, when do we get those? Like, is that going to come out, like, in an e-reader? Can we get that on, on an EPUB file? Do we, can you make it into a movie? I'd appreciate if you make it into a movie because I don't have attention to read 800 left behind books. Or however many, how many of them are there? Are there? There's like 28, I think. Okay, there's a million of them. And that's what they're asking. God, tell us, when will you restore the kingdom? When are you coming back? When is the next advent? When is the next anticipation? And you have to absolutely love Jesus' response because as a good teacher, he does what good teachers do. He, he, he kind of bamboozles them and he takes them off course from the road they want to go on, which is eschatology. Tell me more about eschatology. Tell me when he's coming. Give me robust theology on that. And Jesus instead says this, it's not for you to know the time or the seasons that the Father has fixed on his own authority. This is what he said. I'm not going to answer your question fully. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't study eschatology. It doesn't mean that you can't look for the signs of the times. It doesn't mean that you can't find information on that that's healthy and maybe even helpful for your evangelism and your, your view of who God is. But God's response in this particular moment is, I'm not going to tell you. You're not going to know. But then he redirects them down the correct path, and he says, You'll go to Jerusalem, and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where you receive the Spirit, in Judea, in Samaria, to the utter ends of the earth. What's he say? It's more important for you to grasp the power of the Holy Spirit that you would make use of your opportunities to be to, be a, a, to, to speak into Jerusalem and Judea than it is for you to know your theology on the end times. He's essentially saying, you know what, church, I understand that the end is coming. He knows it better than you and I do. But he's telling the church in this particular moment what you need more of, what you need to be asking about, what you need to be studying is to receive the only kind of power that is receivable from God in the form of the Holy Spirit which indwells you so that you can be witnesses. Where? And then he says, okay, where are you going to go? First of all, you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem. Where's Jerusalem? Truckee. That's your Jerusalem. Make use of all the opportunities you have in Jerusalem, in your Truckee. And then he goes on and goes, okay, in addition to that, you need to be witnesses in, in, in Judea. Where's Judea? How about King's Beach? How about Reno? Right? That's our Judea. He's saying, you have an obligation. You're going to be filled with the power of God to be witnesses in your local area and in the area that's just beyond your own borders. Oh, and by the way, you're also 
going to be witnesses in Samaria. Well, where's Samaria? The rest of the United States. But Samaria, according to the Jews, also represents a people that are completely unlike us. A people that we don't understand. A people that, that, that only through the power of God we could reach. So you receive this power. And you're going to receive it. You're going to be a witness for me in Truckee and in Kings Beach and to the rest of the country. Oh, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Where's that? Papua New Guinea, Africa, you name it. We're to be witnesses in all of those places. And if we can't go to those places, we should do everything we can to pray for people in those places. And we should be doing everything we can to use resources to send people to those places. Are you with me? So this is the opportunities that we must be urgent about, passionate about, zealous about. Now, with that said, here we are 2,000 years later. There were skeptics of Jesus' return then, and there will always be skeptics of Jesus' return now and in the future. If you don't believe me, just turn quickly to Second uh, Peter chapter 3. Um, <clears throat> Peter, hopefully most of us are familiar with him. He's walked with Jesus. He's made many mistakes with his mouth more than anything else. But at this point, he has written a second letter. So he's written Peter. Now he's in Second Peter, and he says in chapter 3, if you're turning there, and I appreciate love hearing the sound of the pages. That's awesome. This is now the second verse uh, 1 of chapter 3. This is now the second letter I'm writing to you, he says. So he's understanding he's repeating himself. Beloved, in both of them, I'm stirring you up. Your sincere mind, I'm stirring you up by way of reminder. So this is him saying, okay, just like we're doing now in Advent, I'm stirring your mind towards reminder so that we can be more affectionate, more loving, more worshipful of who Jesus is. But he adds to it, verse 2, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days scoffing. That's what scoffers do. They scoff. And so he says these scoffers will come scoffing at what? The remembrance of what the prophets and, and those in the Old Testament and as well as the apostles have predicted of the return of Christ. He goes on. Verse 4. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Right, they're going to scoff. That's what scoffers do. They scoff. Where's the promise of this coming? And then they'll go on and say, ever since the fathers fell asleep. So death has come to so many others before us. All things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And then he goes on and look at verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact. Hey, this is emphasis now. Peter said, there's one fact I don't want you to overlook. You're reading it in chapter 3, verse 8, and he says this. With the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness. Now, now we can continue going on, but I just want you to see the theology in which Peter has just really poured over the readers in First Peter, I'm sorry, Second Peter. He's saying, okay, there's times and there's seasons. This is the coming of the Lord. We know scoffers are going to come and they're going to scoff because that's what scoffers do. But the promise is coming. And oh, by the way, the reason it seems like the promise is so far off is because you have forgotten that with God, 
God is, is this being outside of space and time, and he says one day to him is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. So you and I, we're here in the year 2021, and we're still going, what did we just experience over the last 18, 19 months? Right? What Jesus is saying in regards to this awakening and in regards to us understanding that we've got to make the most of our time, he's saying, listen, church, if you understand the theology of who God is outside of space and time, you'll understand what you're really wrestling with in your own space and time. What do I mean by that? What I mean is the last 18 months for us have seemed like forever. Right? And for, for some of us, not all, but for some of us, we're, we're wondering how many more variants, how many more boosters, how many more elections before things get normal. Right? It has just seemed like forever. Do you know what he has just told us about God? He's like, hey, the last 18 months have only felt like 30 seconds to me. I don't know what you're tripping about. It puts, when you understand that our God is outside of space and time, it puts your perspective of pain and suffering right where it needs to be. That's why Paul says momentary light affliction. Momentary light affliction. Now, when it comes to the end times, when it comes to Jesus coming back again, one of the things the Bible does tell us is to kind of study the day and age in which we live. I, I, I like to call it, and some of, some of my other friends, I call it exegeting culture. Just understanding culture and why culture is the way it is and what's happening. The Bible says if you look at it, if you look at what's happening in culture, it's like birth pains. Like a woman getting ready to give birth, there's, there's signs to birth, right? It's, I know there's a whole episode, uh, there's a whole TV show called I Didn't Know I Was Pregnant. Now, my wife's been pregnant four times. There's no denying. I don't know how they, I don't know how they get there. Because like when, you know, you can get by for eight weeks, right, ladies? And you're like, dude, you're good. Month eight? Dude, and some of them are like, how much longer do you have? I got four more weeks. And you're like, you're not going to make it. Right? And then you awkwardly touch their belly. It's all going to be okay. That. He says there's like, it's like birth pains to show us the end of the world. And any of you women, God bless your soul, who has gone through that miraculous process of bringing new life into the world, you know exactly what he's talking about is one day is a thousand and a thousand is one day. Because, because for my wife, our very, first, our very first birth, I should not word it that way, like our birth, like I did nothing. My wife's first birth was over 20 hours, and it was laborious. That's where we get that word from. Labor's so tough, we get hard work from that word laborious. Just a little bit of Greek for you, okay? And after all of that labor, all of that pain, all of that moaning and groaning for it to be over with, all of that waiting for nine months, and the blink of an eye, as soon as you hear the cry of that baby, all of it is forgotten. It wasn't until the fourth birth my wife said, I think I'm done. <laughs> my point being, though, is all, uh, much of that pain and agony, by the joy of holding that baby in your arms, you gals are courageous enough to say, let's do it again. And now imagine, again, as we think about the return of Jesus Christ, he, he likens it to birth. The pain is here. The frustration is here. 
But one day, Christ will come. And when he appears, like that newborn baby, your pain and suffering will be as if it never happened. That agony, that shame will be absorbed, completely absorbed by the beauty and the joy of looking into the eyes of our Messiah. I can't wait. I can't wait for it. So, Paul says in Romans, just like on Christmas morning, awaken from your slumber. Don't don't sleepwalk in your Christianity. But instead, throw off your pajamas of sin and darkness and put on the armor of light. So he now gives us his commandment. Get rid of some of these things that are holding you back. Get rid of things that are keeping you from your faith, keeping you from your relationship with God, keeping you from enjoying your relationships with people. Now, my four kids, as you know, we've got four children, and so every year at Christmas time, my wife and I have created a tradition at Christmas time we go through every year. First of all, let me just see a show of hands of, of, of who's shameless enough to admit you have a Christmas tree up in your house at, at this point in time. Okay. I know of someone here that has three Christmas trees in their house. We won't point them out. It's a little overkill. But happy is Jesus, right? So um, because of that, my wife and I, we, we try to be a little bit a little bit particular with what we buy our gifts at Christmas time because they, like, they have everything they could ever think or imagine. And we really don't need to get them that much Christmas gifts because everybody else buys them Christmas gifts, right? They're, they're, their friends do and their aunts and their uncles and their, their grandparents. And so they're just a plethora of toys. So we have done this thing every year where we go into the kids' room and we begin to ask them questions such as, when was the last time you played with this? And if the answer isn't within the last year, we throw it away, right? And, and inevitably, what ends up happening is, is this. This is, this is usually what happens in those conversations. When was the last time you played with this, son? I don't know. Okay, we're going to throw it away. You can't. It's my favorite. <laughs> it's like, dude, it's not your favorite, bro. Okay, we're throwing it away. No, don't throw it away. So now what we do is we put a movie on. And then we go do it without the kids. And we throw things away, and they have no idea that it's gone. And that's the best part about throwing away your kids' stuff when they're not paying attention is they don't even know that it's missing until two years later. And then they're like, have you seen that one gun I had? I'm like, no, I haven't seen it. Don't know where it is. Like we do that Christmas purge every year, get rid of the old so we can have room for the new. This is the commandment of Scripture. It was the commandment in Colossians. And, and the picture here is that we would take off the junk of the world and we put on the armor of light. Another way to say it is that we would lay aside, forsake, or renounce, a, a famous word we use around here often, that we would repent from that darkness. Psalm 109 verse 18 says there's actually a kind of man who clothes himself not in the righteousness of God, but rather he clothes him, himself in cursing. And his coat is like that of cursing. And he says, really, it's an image of, of placing on sin and wearing sin. And he says that that sin, that, that coat, soaks into his body like, wa- like water and oil into his bones. What, what the psalmist says oftentimes is when you're carrying around sin, it weakens you. That sin, when wrestled with, 
in an addictive manner can, can also weaken your soul and rot your bones, the psalmist says. I'm not speaking of a, a physical kind of rotting of the bones, though I do think that that can happen, that sometimes, sometimes we deal with ailments because of a lack of repentance of sin. Sometimes we deal with depression because of a lack of repentance of, of sin. Sometimes we wrestle in our marriages because of a lack of repentance of sin, a lack of taking off and laying aside those things that would hinder us from being in a relationship with the Lord. John MacArthur says like this, the imagery here pictures a soldier who's been engaged in a night partying and drinking and he's still clad in the garments of his sin. He's fallen asleep into a drunken stupor and but, but the dawn is approaching and the battle is at hand and it's time to wake off, throw off the clothes of the night and put on the battle gear of light. He's saying, okay, listen, church, it's a time as you understand this awakening and this taking off and this removal of the things that hinder you. He now again is allowing us to know. He's letting us know again, Christians, we're at war. Like this isn't a passive life that we go through and everything's fine and everything is jolly. We're at war. Satan is killing the souls of so many in our country and you and I have the message of hope and salvation, a message of healing, a message of reconciliation, a message that you can know God, the God who came and pierced through heaven to earth. That we have the ability, we have, we have the answers that ails society. So we must cast off our ignorance, cast off the things of the night. Another place in Scripture says all of that which is sinful is done usually at night. You get drunk at night. You enter into different kinds of sins usually at night. Has anyone ever heard the saying, nothing happens good at 3 a.m.? Like, it's very rare that someone comes to you and says, you will never believe what I accomplished at 3 a.m. Like that 3 a.m. kind of night leads to sin, leads to darkness. 1 Corinthians 15.34 says, Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. Now, when Scripture uses this language of the drunken stupor, it's not just speaking of, of being drunk on alcohol or drugs, but drunk on the world, drunk on your flesh, drunk on pleasure. But the warning is, take off these things that that create kind of a, a world that you're the nucleus. And if you want to have a good Christmas this year, take off the self-centeredness that is so rampant in our society and go into Christmas Day with an attitude of serving your family and your friends. Go in with the objective to be the salt and the light with those who don't know him. And like Scripture often does, it gives us a negative connotation and then the positive connotation. So the negative side, take off the sin, but then likewise, he says, put on the armor of light. Make sure you're putting on the armor of God. What the Bible would call the new self. What I really like is, is he gets even more specific in the text that we're in. Look at verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on who? Well, it's not just clothing we put on. We put on a person. We put on Christ. And he goes on and says, make no provision of the flesh. Well, what is it to put on Christ? It, it's putting on the new self. It's stepping out of darkness and, and into the light. It's putting on remembrance. It's remembering what God has done in the past. It's remembering that God is at work now. And it's remembering specifically that God has promises for his church in the future. Titus tells us it's putting on good works. 
that would be zealous good for good works. Hebrews tells us to stir one another up for good works. It's putting on patience. It's putting on strength. It's putting on a deep love for one another. Romans chapter, chapters 1 through 12, really, really, if you just kind of summarize all of those chapters in Romans, it would be, owe oh, nothing to anyone except for love. Like, don't go into debt at Christmas time. Like, isn't it crazy that I even have to say that? Don't go into debt because Christ has freed you from debt. He's freed you from, from the debt of sin. He's freed you that you wouldn't live owing anything to anyone except, he says, in the rest of Romans, a deep love for one another. Put on confidence, put on faith, put on self-control, put on sober-mindedness, and get rid of any provision, any forethought of the flesh. You know, there's certain things sometimes we have to understand what he's saying when we, we put these things on. There, there's, there's still a part of us. There's still a part of us, the already not yet, that, that still wants to sin. And the Bible is really clear that, that we're not only at war with the world and with the devil, but to a degree, we're still at war with the flesh suit that we have on. So when we become Christians, we enter into this new relationship with the Lord. We, we become awakened to the spiritual things of God, and he starts to call us to repentance, and maybe we start to all of a sudden have a greater desire for the word of God. Like that, that becomes awakened in us, and, and then at the same time, we still have a piece of us that wants to do things we shouldn't do. Paul himself says that. You remember Paul? Like, he's, he's like, listen, I don't understand why I don't do the things I know I should do. This is the Apostle Paul. He saw Christ on the road to Damascus. He's, There's things I should do. I don't do them. And I don't do the things I know I should do. He's like, he's like who's going to save me from this? Right? The Bible says that the flesh and the spirit are at war with one another. And, and, and I'm sure as many of you have heard the analogy before, of like the flesh and the spirit, like two different, they're like two different dogs. And I grew up with Rottweilers. Okay, so I, I remember what it was like to take Otto, which was our oldest dog, out on a walk. And Otto, my dad, who was praying for the end of the world, so he could fight in the end of the world, that's the kind of dad he was. He trained our Rottweiler to only obey German commands. I remember as a young kid, I probably like, six years old. Dad, how come he is only trained in German? So when I sick him to kill somebody, they don't know how to make him stop. That was his answer. So if you say no, he doesn't understand no. You're gone. And so I know what it's like to be around a big, gnarly, kind of violent dog that was chained up all the time, had a reputation of, of around the neighbors. They hated our dog. They didn't, they didn't like him because he was just a bruiser, big, heavy, well-built, solid man's dog. That's kind of how he was, just a big old Rottweiler. And the question is, when two dogs get into a fight, which dog is the one that wins the one that gets fed the most food? Like, we're at war within ourselves, even. And the call to take off and the call to put on is a call, feed the spirit and starve the flesh. Like, what are the things that God's calling you to take off that, that, that no longer need to exist in your life. And we talk about this often, but some of us, some of us just need to stop listening to the talk radio show because all it does is make you angry. Some of you need to stop reading the news because all it does is frustrate you and depress you. Some of you just need to stop engaging in the gossip or stop engaging in the anger and the frustration to take those things off because they're hindering you from making the most of your time. 
I mean, literally, there's nothing worse than, I know, like, the, the way the Spirit of the God works in me is, like, God will, like, speak to me in my inner heart, and then he'll echo that voice with that particular sin or issue in my life until I, at some point, like, repent and, and do whatever is necessary to get rid of it. So, so, for instance, yesterday, my kids have been in this habit of borrowing my tools and not putting them back. Okay, so I have a drill that ended up under the deck for two weeks, an electric drill. Now, of course, this is what happens in my home. Son, did you take my drill? Nope. Son, did you take my drill? Uh-huh. Son, did you take my drill? No, I think it was Peyton. <laughs> Daughter, I know you didn't take my drill. I don't even know what a drill is, Dad. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> Right? And so yesterday, something disappeared. We were about leaving the house, and I lost my cool. 100%. I am just frustrated. You guys don't put things away. I'm using words like never and always. And if you know anything about counseling, you know don't ever use those words. You never say someone never. You never say. You never say never or always. And, and I, I'm frustrated. Like, Where is this thing? I'm pacing back and forth. And my kids are responding to me, trying to appease me. And you know you've, you've crossed the boundary when your spouse says, don't even talk to him. Because he's not going to have anything good to say. And my little daughter goes, he's just being so mean. And all I can hear is the word of God bouncing in my brain as I'm angry. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's like a ping pong ball. The anger of, God, of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not. I got my, get it, dude. And sometimes you feel that way. But the reality is, is that when you're in a walk with God, you understand that it's for your good, your benefit, your joy, your happiness, your with all to put those kind of things away. And when you fall and when you stumble and you hear God speak to you through the word of God in your mind or in your heart or in your soul, or he's speaking to you in a way that you can't even think or fathom or imagine, our response is to make the most of the time and be obedient to God. Because one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day you are but a vapor. We only have so much time here. And we're not to mourn our time here as some kind of victim. And we're not to bemoan it as if we're not getting enough. We're to redeem the time, to make the most of the time, that as many people as possible would stand in the light of Christ and be nourished by him. What ways do we need to recalibrate our calendar? What ways do we need to shift the way we spend our money? What ways do we need to change the way we communicate about who Jesus is? What ways do we need to love our family members that are so hard to love? Like this is the holidays. And the holidays are filled with awkward, hard, familial conversations, yeah? Come on, I know I'm not the only one. I, I, I know what it's like when you get a house filled with people who are sinful, and especially you add a few drinks to that and, and a bunch of food, and the next thing you know, people start acting stupid. 
and then you have an opportunity to respond in like manner or you have an opportunity to redeem that time. To love people who, for the most part, people respond with such negativity because they don't feel loved. Now, in Advent, we have the opportunity for four weeks as a church to build an anticipation to this reality that Jesus is coming back soon. And since we know he's coming back soon, we need to awaken to the more, we need to be continually awakened to the realities and the facts of who Christ is. We need a continual reawakening to the things of God. It's what we would call a continual reformation. Anybody who loves the reformation loves what the reformation teaches, which is that we're always being transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. More and more to biblical literacy. We we redeem that time by waking up and we take off the things of the world that are hindering us and we put on Christ, which allows us to bring the light into a world that is so dark. Just the other day, just just actually yesterday, unfortunately, I I found out about a, a church, another church, in our distant area that that has basically told their congregants, it's not important for you to believe in the inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture. Every day, Satan is at work to erode the strength of the true church. And what I want you to know is that as that erodes, don't panic, don't fret, don't worry. Just know that your light will shine brighter as the days grow darker. I was reading a thing on the, uh, we'll just close with this last thought and then we'll sing. But I was reading some stuff on the metaverse. You guys had any enjoyment diving into what that is yet? No? Okay. Well, essentially it's it's virtual reality world that will be created and where you and I could even attend church what seems to be real, but through a headset and where this is going to be in the next 20 years is going to be just absolutely phenomenal but essentially what essentially what facebook is trying to create is its own version of utopia and perfection that does not exist in the real world but exists in a digital world it's man's attempt to recreate the garden of eden and what's going to happen is you're going to have all these people who are going to dive into this because that's just what we do if the last couple years has taught you anything, it's that the masses will do anything as long as everybody else is doing it. We'll do it. And you're going to start seeing, maybe not in your lifetime, but probably in my kid's lifetime, a move towards living life in a virtual world. The whole social distancing thing is just setting us up ripe to be removed from the real world and to live in a digital one. And some of you are probably hearing what I'm saying. You're like, this dude is off his rocker. Ah, dude, it's here, people. It is here. And you know we're the only, one of the only places that will still accept you for you will be the church of Jesus Christ. It'll be the one place in society where it's totally okay not to dress up as an avatar and to just be you. So I say, okay, bring on the metaverse. Man's attempt to recreate the universe so they can taste and see that what man creates never tastes and is never as beautiful as what God creates. This is the right way. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for...
your word, your truth, and your love. May we sing to you now, glorifying you in thanks and gratitude for what you've done. Help us to be awakened to your truth, to take off the pajamas of the old life, to put on the armor of light, and to go into this dark world and to shine your goodness on as many people as possible. We trust you for it now, Lord, in Jesus' name, the church said. Amen. Amen. Would you guys stand with us while we close in a couple more songs?